0: incorporation and charter competition. The process of starting up a new corporation is quick, though each state differs. A corporation is not the only kind of business organization that can be chosen. People may wish to register a partnership or a limited liability company, depending on the precise tax status and organizational form that is sought. Most frequently, However, people running major enterprises will choose corporations which have limited liability for those who become the shareholders, if the corporation goes bankrupt the default rule is that shareholders will only lose the money they paid for their shares, even if debts to commercial creditors are still unpaid. A state office, perhaps called the Division of Corporations or simply the Secretary of State, will require the people who wish to incorporate to file articles of incorporation, sometimes called a charter, and pay a fee. The articles of incorporation typically record the corporation's name, if there are any limits to its powers, purposes or duration, and identify whether all shares will have the same rights. With this information filed with the state, a new corporation will come into existence, and be subject to the legal rights and duties that the people involved create on its behalf. The incorporators will also have to adopt bylaws which identify many more details such as the number of directors, the arrangement of the board, requirements for corporate meetings, duties of officer holders and so on. The certificate of incorporation will have identified whether the directors or the shareholders, or both have the competence to adopt and change these rules. All of this is typically achieved through the corporation's first meeting. One of the most important things that the articles of incorporation determine is the state of incorporation. Different states can have different levels of corporate tax or franchise tax, different qualities of shareholder and stakeholder rights, more or less stringent director's duties, and so on. However, it was held by the Supreme Court in Paul v. Virginia that in principle states ought to allow corporations incorporated in a different state to do business freely. This appeared to remain true even if another state, for example Delaware, required significantly worse internal protections for shareholders, employees, or creditors than the state in which the corporation operated, for example New York. So far, Federal regulation has affected more issues relating to the securities markets than the balance of power and duties among directors, shareholders, employees and other stakeholders. The Supreme Court has also acknowledged that one state's laws will govern the internal affairs of a corporation, to prevent conflicts among state laws. So under the present law, regardless of where a corporation operates in the 50 states, the rules of the state of incorporation, subject to federal law, will govern its operation. Early in the 20th century, it was recognized by some states, initially New Jersey, that the state could cut its tax rate in order to attract more incorporations, and thus bolster tax receipts. Quickly, Delaware emerged as a preferred state of incorporation. In the 1933 case of Louis K. Liggett Company v. Brandeis J. Lee, represented the view that the resulting race was one not of diligence, but of laxity, particularly in terms of corporate tax rates and rules that might protect less powerful corporate stakeholders. Over the 20th century, the problem of a race to the bottom was increasingly thought to justify federal regulation of corporations. The contrasting view was that regulatory competition among states could be beneficial, on the assumption that shareholders would choose to invest their money with corporations that were well-governed. Thus the state's corporation regulations would be priced by efficient markets. In this way it was argued to be a race to the top. An intermediate viewpoint in the academic literature suggested that regulatory competition could in fact be either positive or negative, and could be used to the advantage of different groups, depending on which stakeholders would exercise most influence in the decision about which state to incorporate in. Under most state laws, directors hold the exclusive power to allow a vote on amending the Articles of Incorporation and shareholders must approve directors' proposals by a majority, unless a higher threshold is in the Articles Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. In principle a duly incorporated business acquires legal personality that is separate from the people who invest their capital, and their labor, into the corporation. Just as the common law had for municipal and church corporations for centuries, it was held by the Supreme Court and Bank of the United States v. DeVoe that in principle corporations had legal capacity. At its center, corporations being legal persons mean they can make contracts and other obligations, hold property, sue to enforce their rights and be sued for breach of duty. Beyond the core of private law rights and duties the question has, however, continually arisen about the extent to which corporations and real people should be treated alike. The meaning of person, when used in a statute or the U.S. Bill of Rights is typically thought to turn on the construction of the statute, so that in different contexts the legislature or founding fathers could have intended different things by person. For example, in an 1869 case named Paul v. Virginia, the U.S. Supreme Court held that the word citizen in the Privileges and Immunities Clause of the U.S. Constitution, Article 4, Section 2, did not include corporations. This meant that the Commonwealth of Virginia was entitled to require that a New York fire insurance corporation, run by Mr. Samuel Paul, acquired a license to sell policies within Virginia, even though there were different rules for corporations incorporated within the state. By contrast, in Santa Clara County v. Southern Pacific Railroad Company, a majority of the Supreme Court hinted that a corporation might be regarded as a person under the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. The Southern Pacific Railroad Company had claimed it should not be subject to differential tax treatment, compared to natural persons, Set by the State Board of Equalization acting under the Constitution of California. However, in the event Harlan J. held that the company could not be assessed for tax on a technical point, the state county had included too much property in its calculations. Differential treatment between natural persons and corporations was therefore not squarely addressed. In the late 20th century, however, the issue of whether a corporation counted as a person for all or some purposes acquired political significance. Initially, in Buckley v. Valeo, a slight majority of the U.S. Supreme Court had held that natural persons were entitled to spend unlimited amounts of their own money on their political campaigns. Over a strong dissent, the majority therefore held that parts of the Federal Election Campaign Act of 1974 were unconstitutional since spending money was, in the majority's view, a manifestation of the right to freedom of speech under the First Amendment. This did not affect corporations— though the issue arose in Austin v. Michigan Chamber of Commerce. A differently constituted U.S. Supreme Court held, with three dissents, that the Michigan Campaign Finance Act could, compatible with the First Amendment, prohibit political spending by corporations. However, by 2010, the Supreme Court had a different majority. In a 5-4 decision, Citizens United v. Federal Election Commission held that corporations were persons that should be protected in the same way as natural people under the First Amendment— And so they were entitled to spend unlimited amounts of money in donations to political campaigns. This struck down the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act of 2002, so that an anti Hillary Clinton advertisement, Hillary, the Movie, could be run by a pro business lobby group. Subsequently, the same Supreme Court majority decided in 2014, in Burwell v. Hobby Lobby Stores Inc., that corporations were also persons for the protection of religion under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Specifically, this meant that a corporation had to have a right to opt out of provisions of the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act of 2010, which could require giving health care to employees that the board of directors of the corporation might have religious objections to. It did not specifically address an alternative claim under the First Amendment. The dissenting four judges emphasized their view that previous cases provided no support for the notion that free exercise rights pertain to for-profit corporations. Accordingly, the issue of corporate personality has taken on an increasingly political character. Because corporations are typically capable of commanding greater economic power than individual people, and the actions of a corporation may be unduly influenced by directors and the largest shareholders, it raises the issue of the corruption of democratic politics. Delegated Management and Agents Although a corporation may be considered a separate legal person, it physically cannot act by itself. There are, therefore, necessarily rules from the corporation statutes, and the law of agency that attribute the acts of real people to the corporation, to make contracts, deal with property, commission torts, and so on. First, the board of directors will be typically appointed at the first corporate meeting by whoever the articles of incorporation identify as entitled to elect them. The board is usually given the collective power to direct, manage and represent the corporation. This power, and its limits, is usually delegated to directors by the state's law or the Articles of Incorporation. Second, corporation laws frequently set out roles for particular officers of the corporation, usually in senior management, on or outside of the board. U.S. labor law views directors and officers as holding contracts of employment, although not for all purposes. If the state law or the corporation's bylaws are silent, the terms of these contracts will define in further detail the role of the directors and officers. Third, directors and officers of the corporation will usually have the authority to delegate tasks and hire employees for the jobs that need performing. Again, the terms of the employment contracts will shape the express terms on which employees act on behalf of the corporation. Toward the outside world, the acts of directors, Officers and other employees will be binding on the corporation depending on the law of agency and principles of vicarious liability or respondeat superior. It used to be that the common law recognized constraints on the total capacity of the corporation. If a director or employee acted beyond the purposes or powers of the corporation, ultra vires, any contract would be ex-ante void and unenforceable. This rule was abandoned in the earlier 20th century and today, corporations generally have unlimited capacity and purposes. However, not all actions by corporate agents are binding. For instance, in South Sacramento Dreyage Company v. Campbell Soup Company, it was held that a traffic manager who worked for the Campbell Soup Company did not, unsurprisingly, have authority to enter a 15 year exclusive dealing contract for intrastate hauling of tomatoes. Standard principles of commercial agency apply, apparent authority. If a reasonable person would not think that an employee, given his or her position and role has authority to enter a contract, then the corporation cannot be bound. However, corporations can always expressly confer greater authority on officers and employees, and so will be bound if the contracts give express or implied actual authority. The treatment of liability for contracts and other consent-based obligations, however, differs to torts and other wrongs. Here the objective of the law to ensure the internalization of externalities or enterprise risks is generally seen to cast a wider scope of liability.